Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders. It's the Week 14 Waiver Wire episode. We've got our guy Derek Klassen here, as always, to offer his scouting perspective on the best waiver wire options for you this week. Uh, Derek, in the pre-show, you were just waxing poetic about the Patriots' power game on Monday Night Football last night. Really fun. And so to celebrate your love for power football, we're going to spend half the show today talking about your favorite player, Taysom Hill. Your thoughts? I mean, he is a power quarterback. That is kind of the thing that he does. So at least, you know, (laughs) at least there's a little bit of of something nice in there with uh, my general feelings about Taysom Hill. (laughs) Okay, good. Glad we got your your nice words out of him out of the way, because I think we'll probably spend a little bit more time talking about some of the other side of the coin there. There actually aren't that many waiver wire guys to talk about. It's I mean, it's shocking to me, but we're into the fantasy playoffs in some formats. I find it hilarious that they're buys this week while some people are in the fantasy playoffs, but neither here nor there. We, we can probably spend half the show talking about the relevant waiver guys, but to close the rest of the fantasy year as well, Derek and I are going to do a little bit of dynasty content, talking about some of our favorite younger players at the skill positions. Today, we're going to draft the top 10 quarterbacks under 26 years old and kind of get into what we like and dislike about those guys. So that'll be the second half of the show, but let's get started first with the week 14 waiver wire. Before I do that, let me also mention the FO Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions right now. It's a limited time offer to get our stats, analysis, fantasy, and betting info. So go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link in the description of the show to learn more. Derek, the top guy on the list, you know, is a, he may not even honestly matter in fantasy the rest of the season, but I think the chances that he could make it such that it's a relevant pick. I'm talking Sonny Michelle running back for the LA Rams. I'm suggesting a 51% fab bid where he's still available in about a third of both ESPN and Yahoo leagues. Had a huge day as sort of declaring himself a full handcuff of Daryl Henderson, who didn't play last week. He had 24 carries for 121 and a touchdown, also three catches for eight yards. Played 97% of snaps where his his like temporary backup, Makai Sargent, just kind of joined the team, only played 2%. So like Michelle is a full-on Alex Madison-style handcuff, which obviously is great, especially this time of the year. You want to handcuff your top running backs for the fantasy playoffs. But my question for you, Derek, is is there any chance that Michelle could pass Henderson? And I'm referring specifically to some wor- uh, words that head coach Sean McVay said last week, talking about how much he liked that Michelle was keeping them ahead of the sticks is that a concern that fantasy players should have, or maybe even an opportunity that maybe if they can still get Michelle on their wire, he could end up being a running back one or two for them down the stretch here. I still don't really think that that's going to happen. Um, I think it's possible that we end up in a scenario where maybe Michelle gets closer to like 40% of the workload and he's like more involved than maybe he was previously. But I think a situation where he completely overtakes Henderson is probably unlikely. Um, I will say, like, I think Michelle looks like he's starting to have a little bit more of his juice back. I don't think he's 100% to where he was, you know, a couple of years ago with the Patriots or whatever. But he's looking a little bit more um, fluid, a little bit more explosive than I think he had in the past. Um, I just think he still doesn't quite offer what Henderson does in the passing game. He's not nearly as explosive uh, in terms of maybe generating some of those big runs. Um, he, he does, like, maybe keep you ahead of the sticks a little bit. And perhaps McVay does value that now that the offense doesn't have Robert Woods in the passing game to help them out with that. Um, because Woods is not only obviously a really good, like, you know, uh, intermediate like type of safety blanket receiver. He's also a really good blocker. So obviously when you have him in the blocking game, that kind of makes things easier on the running back. Whereas, you know, that was maybe better for Henderson. Whereas without that, maybe Michelle is a little bit more valuable, but I think Michelle, Michelle could be definitely a little bit more part of the game plan, but I have a hard time imagining he would get enough work to be like a 
an RB, you know, to where he's like their starting running back or whatever, whenever Henderson's healthy. So I, I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about it until McVeigh's quotes and until Michelle ended up starting last week with, with uh, Henderson being out. But Michelle is actually number one in, in the league in rushing success rate among running backs with 100 or more carries this season. So like, it's absolutely the case that he's keeping the team ahead of the sticks. And that kind of piqued my interest. Now, I'll mention that Henderson, I think, was like third or fourth. And it's not that unusual for a team with a really good passing attack and a really good offensive line like the Rams seem to have for like a lot of their backs to, to be doing really well. But my point is generally that I don't think Michelle is any worse than Henderson as a runner. And he is probably a more powerful runner. He's like half a yard ahead of Henderson in yards after contact per attempt. So like he's kind of a pile pushing type of back. Uh, but I don't know. I agree with you that Henderson's dramatically more versatile, but it's also important to note, I think that Henderson, he looked really good in the metrics last season before he got benched for Cam Akers and again, it's just like when you're in an offense like that, it's easier to look good. And so to me, it's, it's enough that I'm going to be like willing to put him on my fantasy benches to see what happens. I think I would have been doing that anyway with Henderson potentially being hurt. I don't know if he's going to miss another week or not, but I'm definitely going to do it here because I feel like you do have at least a small chance of him getting into the mix and maybe getting 10 to 15 carries for the final stretch of the season this year. I think it's definitely worth rostering if you, if you can. I still don't think that he's going to be the guy who like completely surpasses Henderson. Um, but I don't know. It, it's also possible like they when both of these guys are healthy, like I do think no matter what, when both of these guys are healthy, they're going to try to do a little bit of a thunder and lightning combo. I think they're both really yeah. good players. I do think it's possible that Michelle is more of their like inside the tent back, which could be valuable in terms of if you think that's the way that um, the Rams are going to try to punch in touchdowns. So that would probably be the best value you're going to get out of Michelle um, rather than him like completely overtaking the RB one role. But if the offense as a whole gets back to what, you know, gets back to being really, really good. Like they kind of showed this past week, there could be some decent value in him just being kind of a touchdown vulture type. Yeah. I mean, if only they could be playing the Jaguars every week. I think they actually <laughs> the Jaguars have, like... run defense is not bad. <laughs> okay. Honestly. They Fair point, but, pass, but that's the thing where you're like, you're, you're butting up against, is it more important to have a good run defense or to have an offense that's not falling behind by two touchdowns? And then, yeah, obviously you can run the ball a ton, good defense or not. But uh, yeah, I think they have like a top eight difficult schedule in the final stretch. Not surprising given that they're going to be playing a lot of divisional games in the tough eight NFC West, but it'll be curious to see like Michelle would probably have to really take over the one role to have real fantasy value. Cause if he's not catching as many passes, they just may not have an opportunity to run the ball 30 times like they did last week. All right. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. We want to hear your thoughts about Taysom Hill's performance here. Uh, 19 for 41 as a passer, 265 passing yards, half of which came on that garbage time touchdown late to Deontay Harris, uh, who, by the way, is uh, he's going to be suspended three games. He lost his appeal for his DU DUI. Mm. Uh, thing so like he's pretty much done for the year too. Saints already with major issues at wide receiver, including Michael Thomas being out for the rest of the season. Uh, he threw four interceptions, bearing the lead there, but also carried the ball eleven times for 101 yards and finished fourth for the week among fantasy quarterbacks. So Derek, this seems like a classic case of the the fantasy player is better than the real life player. But why don't you give us your scouting opinion of what you saw from Taysom Hill last Thursday? I've never had more trouble separating the player from like the fantasy option than Taysom Hill. <laughs> it's insane. He is so bad at playing quarterback. It's like they can't do anything. And like part of part of the value with Taysom Hill, I don't know, two, three years ago when Drew Brees was the quarterback was supposed to be 
mm-hmm. oh, Drew Brees can't throw the ball deep, so Taysom Hill has a little bit better arm. He can start pushing the ball down. We can do these these shot plays and stuff. He can't even do that anymore. Like he's he's not throwing the ball well uh, deep. Um, some of his other value was supposed to be like, oh, well, he's not going to turn the ball over as much as Winston. That obviously wasn't true. He's kind of a numbskull and, and gave up the ball a bunch of times. So I don't know, man. I, I just think he's not accurate. He's late on pretty much every throw that he makes, um, even if sometimes he's accurate enough to, to still make it work. Um, I think he manages the pocket like a numbskull. He's just kind of athletic <laughs> enough to still get out of the pocket sometimes and, and make some stuff happen. Um Obviously a really talented runner, um, kind of in the same mold as like a, a Jalen Hurts, but he's maybe not as fast, but he's kind of that like bigger stock of your body, really good on like QB power, that sort of stuff. So I yeah. think that is going to be more in the game plan if they can get it. Um, the problem is just going to be, you know, not falling behind on the scoreboard, which the Saints do have a good defense generally, and they should be able to do that against, they should be able to keep up against most teams. So I don't know. He probably still is a good fantasy option, but I just think he's a very bad player. <laughs> So I'm going to play devil's advocate and it's, I don't even think that's quite the right term. Cause I think having watched Cam Newton for so many years, I feel like I'm like more naturally open to the idea of a non-traditional quarterback kind of making it work for his real team. And I do wonder whether Hill can do that. Let's start with the most obvious part of that, which is that Hill, he kind of smashed his middle finger on, I think it was a defender's arm rather than a helmet, but basically suffered the Russell Wilson injury and ended up wearing a splint on his middle finger through most of the game, I would say like the final three quarters and like, he couldn't really work the ball down the field at all. But like how much of that do you think was Hill's injury specifically? And how much of it is that the way that Hill has always been? I mean, the injury definitely made it worse. I don't don't think anybody's going to deny that, but like he has never been good to begin with. Like the the only decent game he had as a pro was like, almost every passing attempt he had was like on rollouts or like he was immediately throwing in the flat and stuff. And like, if they can get into these game scripts and against certain defenses where they can get away with that, sure. He's going to be able to have a decent day and score, but like in these games where he has to do any degree of legitimate dropback passing, he's screwed. Like he just, he just doesn't do it. Like I said, he's late on everything. He hitches like four times when he doesn't need to, like, it's just, he just doesn't really know how to play the position. In, in any I'm sort of you, traditional manner. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought up the game script angle of this because, like, weirdly, I kind of respected what he was doing in the fourth quarter, which is like, this isn't going to work, but I'm still going to throw <laughs> up these prayers. Because it's mm. like, the Saints were losing. They didn't really have any other option. So he was like, I'm just going to take these, you know, kind of crazier thro- throwing attempts that aren't going to work and try to come back. And then that led to a bunch of interceptions down the stretch and they lost worse than they were going to lose otherwise. I thought that was kind of interesting. But like the the devil devil's advocate side of this was really game script related. So like the Saints, they saw pressure on 27.9% of Hill's dropbacks. If you just made that the rate for the full season, that would have landed the Saints 10th worst among offenses last year based on Sports Info Solutions charting. And last year they were actually fourth best, 19.4%. So it's like maybe the Cowboys are a really good pressure defense. Maybe the fact that Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramchick weren't there was a big deal. And like they're I think probably going to be coming back in the next couple of weeks from their knee injuries. So like, could this go a lot better when they play, say for instance, the jets next week, I feel like, yes. And so like, that's really where, and again, I'm, I'm probably talking more about fantasy than I am reality, but like it could be a different type of equation next week where he could still be doing this, but maybe not turning the ball over as much. Don't you think so? Yeah. I mean, I I think there's definitely going to be situations against these more favor favorable defenses where this works. Um, I also would say like last year to your point, like 
the Saints offense around him was way, way better. The offensive line was a lot healthier and it was a lot um, sturdier than it was, which kind of made his yeah. issue of constantly hitching in the pocket like a lot less dramatic because that room was always there anyway. Um, and also just the, the pass catchers were a lot better. Like, I mean, like they just had, I mean, obviously Michael Thomas and like the rest of the guys that they had were a lot better than what they're dealing with now. So, um, and I just don't think he's good enough to make up for that in a real life sense. Um, but again, to your point, like Sean Payton is one of the best offensive minds in the league. And if you can get against, you know, a defense, that's not a top, you know, eight unit, the way that Dallas is. And to your point, a really good pressure unit, like Dallas is like those dudes can get home, um, both on the interior and the edge and even the way they blitz is, is really impressive so like uh, i think to your point against these defenses that aren't going to get to hill as consistently probably a pretty good scenario to play in yeah hill started four games with breeze out last season now started the one game this year in those five games he's averaged 21 fantasy points per game that would put him 10th among quarterbacks this season brady is like half a fantasy point ahead of him so like yeah he's basically as good as the reigning super bowl champion and like the mvp this season i think that all makes sense um, I'm going to get to a question on the YouTube chat right now. Again, we're live 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday. You can catch us and, and chat with us on YouTube. You can also watch us live on Twitter, Twitch, and Facebook. But Joey Sucks asked a relevant question to this, which is, fella, should I panic and put in a waiver bid for Taysom, given that he has Josh Allen as his quarterback? He says he's nervous about playing Allen again um, when they face the Patriots again during the fantasy playoffs. It's... Like, there's no way that I think Allen is going to fall behind Taysom in a, in a mm -hmm. fantasy sense, even with like weekly matchup adjustments. But to me, that's, I would still, I would pick up Taysom just as a way to prevent my, my opponents from doing it. Right. Cause like last week, I think I had Taysom ranked maybe ninth among fantasy quarterbacks. He'll probably settle into that range once everybody's back um, from the buys and stuff. But like, yeah, I mean, he's a real threat of somebody to face. I would feel a lot more nervous if my fantasy opponent was playing him than I would if they were playing. You know, I don't know, like Derek Carr, for instance, right? Like another guy in his range. He's like, he's not only is he's a really good scorer, but he's probably a very volatile player as somebody that could run into rushing touchdowns in a week. And like, he could by himself crush you. So I would try to pick him up if you have the bench spot to, to play it, but I'm not going to tell you to bench Josh Allen. He's, I've seen even with the matchup adjustments, he's never falling worse than like third in my fantasy rankings of the position. And also like, Josh Allen played pretty well last night, truthfully. Like, the, the numbers right. don't really show it, but, like, he honestly had a lot of really good throws that got dropped or contested, and, like, maybe the Patriots defense can play that well again. But, like, I think when the weather conditions are not what they are, mm -hmm. Josh Allen can have a much better game against the Patriots, even if I do yeah, have the, some of my heavy, questions about The heavy winds, I think, really prevented him from going down the field. More Like, mm -hmm. not that the Patriots don't have an incredible secondary, um, but – I just think those were off the table before you even considered the defense. And I think it'll be a different story with more normal conditions. Yeah. I mean, even the Diggs throw, like he had a deep ball that, that would have hit Diggs in the hands, but like Diggs couldn't really find it because it was kind of falling in the wind a little bit, but like he kind of put it on him and you have to assume in, in normal conditions, that's probably mm -hmm. complete. Agreed. Okay. Let's keep going with the week 14 waiver wire guys. Uh, this next one, Devonte Parker, he's actually on buy in week 14. So keep that in mind. I'm throwing just a 6% fab recommendation because of that, but he did finally make it back. He had missed seven of, of the dolphins previous eight games with multiple injuries, shoulder and ankle and everything. But I think you feel pretty good about the fact that going into the fantasy playoffs, he's had this game before the buy and was able to play able to play 71% of snaps at five catches for 62 yards 
But because he's been injured this whole year, I'm not sure we've really gotten a great look at like how he would stack up with the rookie Jalen Waddle, who's been like a top 10 rookie in the last decade in terms of like catches and yards and everything. So like it seems like he's really a real deal type of player. So, Derek, what are your thoughts on Parker being back? Does he look healthy to you? And if both he and Waddle are playing together, I assume Waddle's like clearly the number one guy at this point, right? Yeah, Parker's not better than Waddle. Like, Waddle can just do more things, um, especially underneath. Like, he, he's a much better run-after-catch type of player. Um, Waddle's speed is just crazy, and he sees the ball in really well. So he always does a good job of, like, catching and immediately transitioning into running because he just sees the ball yeah. in really comfortably. So I think Waddle, to your point, yeah, he's top 10 in the past decade or whatever in, in a lot of the stats, and, like, he looks that good to me. Um, Parker is weird because... He's not going to be better than Waddle, but I do think he has a very clear role in this offense as their like boundary, um, like jump ball back shoulder type of guy. Like I, I do think the the offense is really limited in their drop back game in terms of concepts because of Tua. But like we even saw this past week, like Parker caught like two or three just absolutely bonkers back shoulder balls. Um, and even if, you know, maybe like the consistency at which they can hit on those plays is a little up and down, like that's going to continue to be in the offense because they just can't really test the sideline consistently in many other ways. So I think Parker is going to continue to have that role in the offense and you just have to bet that they can hit a couple of those in a given week. And I think, um, I mean, I don't know, like I said, I think he's going to consistently have that role in the offense. You just have to hope that it works. So it's interesting. I'm glad that you brought that up because there's like a full season stat that Parker has 7.8 targets per game this year. And in the, in the games that he's played, that makes him tied 21st among wide receivers that have played five or more games this season. But most of those games came before I would say the dolphins figured out that's probably mm -hmm. not the word you would use, but like <laughs> settled on their RPO heavy type of offense. And like, you think that number would go down with, with, you know, Parker back at this point of the year with that type of offense, or it sounds like you think that maybe Parker really still has like a clear utility to that style of offensive approach. I do think like he isn't that important when they do the RPO stuff. Like Waddle is the guy for that. Um, even Gusecki really, they actually got him involved on a lot of those. Yeah. Um, but I would say like they, you still have to like legit drop back like half the game at least. Um, and like Parker is still their best outside guy for that. Um, particularly on the boundary, like I said, with a lot of these, like, you know, maybe stop routes, comeback routes, um, back shoulders, that sort of thing. So like, I think even if he's not going to be involved in a lot of their more explosive plays that they try to hit on these RPOs, like the run and catch type of stuff, I still do think he has a very clear role as like the, the outside safety blanket type of guy. It also to me seems like there's a kind of a fantasy quirk of the offense where it's like, even though you know, Tonga Valoa is not filling for, for more than like 250 yards in these games with a really like careful type of approach, he's throwing a lot of pass attempts, right? Because mm -hmm. one, it's it's very low depth, but it's kind of moving the sticks type of an approach to the offense. So if he's going to be throwing the ball 45 times, basically using those RPOs as as the running game of the team, and they never really run from them, right? Because they just they don't have an offensive line that can that can really run block. So it's going to lead to a lot of, you know, PPR type points, I would say, for for basically all of the pass catchers in the offense. So I like it from that perspective. And for me, Parker is is one of the few guys on the wire that you could potentially actually grab as a flex option for you in the fantasy playoffs. So I would advocate for that. But again, keeping in mind that you won't have them next week because the Dolphins are on by. All right, we've got two more receivers to discuss on the week 10 or the week 14, I'm sorry, waiver wire before we get to our dynasty quarterback draft here. 
Uh, the next one is a, is a guy that just came off of injured reserve. I'm not sure if that means he's going to play this week. It means the Titans have a few weeks to activate him. But Julio Jones, I mean, I feel like Jones kind of famously, what was it? I think he fell maybe four yards short of having six straight seasons of 1,400 or more receiving yards. I mean, I think he would be on the short list of the best skill players from the last eight or so years in, in real football. But this year just hasn't gone the way that I think the Titans expected. A lot of it's probably been injuries. But even when he's played, it's just been a 17.8% target share. That's 46th among wide receivers. So he's like barely really even been a fantasy option even when he has played. Derek, what are your thoughts? Like, do you think that Jones has maybe kind of lost a step, so to speak? I think he's either 33 or 34 years old. So it's pretty old by wide receiver standards. But maybe it's injuries. I don't know. Like, what are your what's your read on Jones and then his involvement with the Titans offense in general? I do think he lost a step, and I think we started to see that a little bit last year. But the thing is, like, you know, a, a 90% Julio Jones or whatever is still, like, a top 12 NFL receiver. Like, he's still really, really good. Um, I just think the problem this year, to your point, is, like, some of the other injuries that have kind of added on to that um, have kind of made things tough. I also think just, like, the constant discombobulation of the offense um, with different injuries, whether that's, like, you know, injuries to himself. So he's not getting as many reps with Ryan Tannehill, which I think is, is really important, especially in this offense that is so like play action right over the middle of the field driven, where like you have to just have the chemistry to know where your guy is settling over the middle of the field in those windows. And, and Ryan Tannehill just has to trust that it's going to be there. It's hard to have that trust when you just don't have as many reps. Um, and especially the fact that he's been gone, I think is hurting that a little bit. The fact that Derrick Henry is now gone. So like the offense overall doesn't really quite feel as comfortable in their identity like it just seems like a lot of things have gone wrong on top of the fact that maybe julio jones is only 90 percent of what he used to be so um i think maybe next year we probably end up in a scenario where he he could still look fine for the titans but like i think to your point like maybe some of the other health stuff that he's dealt with on top of the titans offense just being weird maybe just not his year i mean i get the aging i get the health but it, it's just so weird to me that the chemistry has been such an issue. Like this was something we talk about with the last four years or so of the Falcons post the Kyle Shanahan run, where it's just like, he would never get the ball in the end zone. And it's like, why isn't Matt Ryan throwing him the ball? And it's like, why isn't, why isn't Ryan Tannehill throwing the ball? It doesn't, it doesn't seem like you need chemistry to find the dude that's like six foot five and one of the best leapers ever. And one of the best athletes ever given his size, but it really has been an issue for him this season. Uh, Joey sucks in the chat mentions, how dare you say 35 is old by any standard as a 35 soon to be 36 year old myself, I would say, yeah, I mean the truth, it's kind of harsh, but that that's the way it is. So, and I'm not getting crushed by giant defensive NFL players every week, but I'm still kind of slipping. <laughs> uh, so like, based on what you're saying, like to me, it doesn't sound like you think that Jones is much of a fantasy player down the stretch this season, right? I mean, just because we know what he can be, I think it's probably worth like flipping the coin on it and trying. Um, but again, like I think I'm pretty much out on what the Titans offense is overall at this point. Um, I think they've just not done a great job figuring out what they're supposed to be through all these injuries. And granted, it's like really hard to do that, especially losing Henry. But like, hmm. yeah, I think at this point, it's more that I feel not very comfortable with the Titans operation rather than I do like, you know, what my feelings are on Jones. Yeah. Kind of on this track, CCX three in the YouTube chat asks is uh, Westbrook a keen plug and play this week for you in fantasy. I would say no. So 
Ryan Tannehill's play action numbers, and that's kind of what drove his unexpected top 10 fantasy success the last two seasons, have absolutely tanked since Derrick Henry has been out. And like while we often say at Football Outsiders, you don't have to run successfully to actually have a successful play action game. It's clear to me that defenses have started treating the Titans offense differently, not having Henry. And to me, that that just sabotages everybody involved. And I, I just wouldn't be starting anybody. But if once A.J. Brown's back, OK, but like anybody else in this offense, including Julio, I'm just not eager to start. And frankly, the Titans have kind of been going out of their way to try to find other guys at wide receiver. Like they put Marcus Johnson as sort of the number one guy for a hot minute until he got hurt, too. So just I wouldn't even trust Westbrook to be the number one receiver even if these other guys were out. So I just, I would stay away and stay away from everybody in the passing offense. Tannehill included, by the way, I don't think he's a top 15 quarterback right now for fantasy. Okay, Derek, we got one more guy to hit on from a waiver wire perspective, KJ Osborne wide receiver for the Vikings. I'm suggesting a 1% fab bid. So not too aggressive. Osborne was actually on the, the radar earlier in the season as a fantasy option when he was being featured a lot from the slot kind of unexpectedly. Uh, it just seemed like with such really good outside receivers and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen that it was kind of opening the opportunities for a third receiver to make an impact, and Osborne was kind of getting it. The the work has, has slipped since then, and he actually played just 48 to 63% of snaps from weeks two to, I guess, week 12. But then last week, Adam Thielen suffered what we think is a high ankle sprain. You know, those injuries tend to cost players multiple weeks. Uh, it actually, Jerry Judy suffered one in week one and didn't play again until week eight, I think. So like Thielen could be done for the season and Osborne stepped up. Like he jumped up to, I was trying to think, was like a 90, yeah, 92% snap share. He saw seven targets. That's three more than he had seen in the previous five games. So it's like Osborne, at least for week 13, was the main fill-in. Do you think that Osborne can have this continued uptick in work going forward such that maybe he could be a flex option for you in fantasy? I mean, I like it from just a pure volume standpoint. Like somebody has to play wide receiver too in, in Minnesota, right? And he's yeah. he's obviously the guy who's going to be next in line for that. So from a real life perspective, he's obviously not going to do a lot of the things that Thielen did. I mean, they're, they're just really different players. I think Thielen is a lot better at, um, at finding zones, at, at getting open. His hands are incredible, um, that sort of stuff. Whereas like Osborne is not quite as clean, um, but his speed is at, off the charts. And if you can maybe get him moving in space and get the ball in his hands, he can, he can you know, rip off something explosive. Um, and I think that could be especially true now that he's going to be forced into the game plan. Maybe they can cook up a couple mm -hmm. of plays that really try to make that happen rather than him kind of getting just forced into the lineup here um, in the Lions game. So um, at least of our, our past couple receivers options, this one actually might be my favorite, again, just from kind of a pure volume standpoint. And like, I do trust what the Vikings are doing on offense schematically. Yeah. Um, I, I like the way that they run their offense. It's just, I don't know. But like we were saying before the show, like <laughs> that team just can't win games. Um, but that doesn't really matter for your fantasy team. That so absolutely long as, doesn't. You know, That's right. Osborne can put up points. <laughs> So I'm with you from the volume angle of this, but like the pessimism that I have is that Thielen, he's been an unbelievable touchdown scorer over the last few years. I think he's like third or fourth in receiving touchdowns since 2017 or 18. I was trying to remember where I pulled the stat. Whenever it was that he became like a full-time player and started scoring 12 touchdowns a year, he's like ahead of Mike Evans. Like that's, that's kind of what we're talking about. But what's interesting is that Thielen is basically by far the biggest surplus touchdown score over his expected touchdown rate. So like tallying up his red zone targets, his targets in the end zone, et cetera. He just scores a lot more than you would expect given a player getting the, the targets that he gets. 
And I think that maybe what you're talking about with him being excellent at finding zones, that type of stuff, it's like really where he's succeeding. He's also bigger than you, than you would expect. I think he's six mm -hmm. foot two. And so like, while Osborne may end up filling the role, I just don't think he's going to have the same fantasy success because if you just looked at the work that Thielen was getting, you'd say, yeah, that's probably a flex receiver. I mean, Jefferson is clearly the number one guy at this point. Um, but I just don't think Osborne's going to have the same success scoring that Thielen did that really drove him to the like wide receiver one, wide receiver two kind of borderline range. And Osborne did score last week, but I'm not sure that's something that I'm expecting going forward. So that that's why like, yes, Osborne, worth the pick but like do you think he's worth more than the one percent fab um that i'm recommending for him this week probably not because i think to your point osborne is more of like a between the 20s player and you're just hoping that he gets mm -hmm. a lot of work there um which could be especially true given maybe their running back situation you know they need to find some way to hit plays on the edge and i don't think their running backs can do that right now so um that would kind of be the play but yeah i mean to your point like with Thielen in in, in the red zone it's like there's just a bigger margin for error around him. Like, obviously, yeah. windows generally are, are a lot tighter in the red zone. But, like, you know, when he runs up on a linebacker and breaks back out, there's always, like, an extra foot of space with him that there just isn't there with other receivers because he knows how to to manipulate that sort of space. And then, obviously, the way that he can contort his body um, to the ground, up in the air, left and right. Like, he, he just has a ridiculous catch radius. So, I think, yeah, to your point, that's, that's why Thielen – has this crazy surplus mm -hmm. and Osborne just he's good at some things, but he is not what Thielen is in that, no. in that area at all. Totally agree. Okay. That wraps up the waiver wire portion of the day's show, but we're going to dive into our, our dynasty portion of this. Um, as mentioned for the next few weeks, we're going to do a dynasty draft with just Derek and I going back and forth, but with a bit of a caveat, we're going to rule out players that are 26 and older. I mean, you, you think 35 is old, but 26, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes, don't want to hear from you. Not even interested in talking about you. We're going to look this week at the at the top 10 quarterbacks that we draft that are 25 or younger. Um, I'll mention, too, that in the YouTube chat, we have a question from Parker Shorey. We're going to hold that to the end. But again, keep bringing your, your trade and rest of the season ranking questions in. We'll get to them at the end of the show. But for now, I, I don't know how we want to determine who gets to go first, Eric, but I kind of want to go. Do you mind? No, I don't. You go ahead. Okay. Like I, I wanted to do this, I think, because this is a real good point in bringing up the like fantasy versus real life angle of this. Um, but my first pick for a dynasty quarterback that is 25 or younger is Josh Allen. And like, I'm not a hundred percent sure about the arm talent. Allen, like he, his passing DVOA numbers have really regressed pretty heavily from last year. I'm not going to say it's like 2015 Cam Newtonian per se, but like, <laughs> It's a marked step down. I mean, maybe it's like Lamar Jackson coming off a few years ago. But I'll say that in general, I find Allen's arm talent pretty compelling. I'm not too worried about him really falling off the way that Newton did. And like Newton, he's just an unbelievable red zone scorer with his legs. Allen has 11.5 expected rushing touchdowns since the start of 2020 as a rusher. That's second most behind Cam Newton. So it's probably the wide you would expect to be going forward. Kyler Murray's next, 11.4. Hertz next, 10.6. Jackson, 10.1. Herbert, surprisingly, 8.9. But Allen's the best of those, and he's the biggest of those. So I think that's going to continue. And so, like him there, he's also had 16 carries within five yards of the end zone, also second behind Cam Newton. So to me, like, there's, there's a fantasy scoring angle to this where I don't think Allen would be my first choice to start a real team with necessarily, but I think he's the number one dynasty choice among the young guys. 
I actually would have also taken Allen this spot um, okay. for kind of the same reason. Yeah, like I, he wouldn't, you know, if, if it was real life, he'd probably be my, my fourth option or something here. But yeah, I mean, he's just the rushing value is insane. And like, honestly, I, I've come around a little bit on Allen as a passer. Like he, he does enough to where, um, you know, you're going to consistently get the explosive plays out of him. Um, and I think the boneheaded plays aren't there as much as they used to be um so i don't know i think really more of the issues i've had with the the bills passing game has actually been not because of allen um this year i think it's been the play calling in the offensive line so i think if they can get that sorted out yeah like yeah he's gonna he's gonna keep scoring a lot um anyway i'll, I'll get to my pick yeah um, curious who you're gonna pick here it's definitely between uh, i don't know I, I think we probably have the next three players lined up here um but for me i'm gonna take herbert um, and maybe this is me just leaning into a little bit more like the, the, the real life player than fantasy option. But like, I still think he can be a really effective runner. He, he's really effective as a scrambler when he um, gets to that mode. They don't use him as a designed runner too much. But when they do, I think he's really effective. Um, and that could be something that they they want to open up more in, in future weeks or in, in future years, whatever. Um, but I think just as a passer, like he's the he might be like, I don't know, like He's playing as the best passer in the league right now. Mm -hmm. Like, I truly believe that. Um, just the way that he manages the pocket is unbelievable. The way that he plays around bodies um, when he's under pressure is insane. He has this, like, ridiculous calm demeanor about him. Um, and he obviously, I mean, he he might be able to throw the farthest in the entire league, even more than Josh Allen. Like, I think he just, um, he can kind of do everything. And I really trust Brandon Staley as a coach. And I think I, for whatever reason, now trust the, the Chargers front office a little bit to build the right offense around him moving forward that he's going to be able to continue to be like a really, really high scoring player. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that this wasn't as much of a fantasy pick, but I mean, I think it kind of is because again, I mentioned Herbert 8.9 expected rushing touchdowns since the start of last season. He isn't running around like Lamar Jackson out there, but he's getting those Josh Allen -y type of rushing touchdowns near the goal line, not to the same extent, but when you're pairing it with his other arm talent, it's just, it's kind of an outrageous combination. Herbert was mm -hmm. my second pick as well. I'll mention too that like while we think of him as being this huge downfield guy, 7.6 yard average depth of target last season down to 7.3 this year. It was actually 7.1 before last Sunday's game when he had an over 10 yard average depth of target. Uh, that's not necessarily a criticism per se. It's just to point out that like it seems like there might be room to get more explosive. Um, and I'm hoping that Sunday was a sign of that. Uh, I know that there's been a big talking point about how it's a little bit too conservative with the Saintsy and type of offense that may not fit Herbert, but like Herbert is having outrageous success right now and has, I think, room to develop. Just as a comparison, Patrick Mahomes was 8.3 average depth of target last year. And so like I think Herbert, it doesn't have to get extreme, but I think there's room to get more explosive and could lead to even more fantasy success than we're seeing right now. Yeah. We're getting and some really great. Ahead, the last yeah. thing I would say, too, is like they just don't have speed to do that. Like uh, all their deep stuff is like uh, jump balls, which it can work. But like I think, like I said, once they maybe get a speed guy in there next year, mm. to your point, these explosives are going to happen. We're having really funny YouTube chat comments related to this stuff, too, by the way. Useful was first mentioned. Had enough of the Patrick Price already. <laughs> um, I kind of have. That, that, yes. That's definitely why I said maybe or olds or older uh joey sucks also says Taysom hill has to be 25 right uh and like it's funny he's in his 30s but like what well, he did the mormon mission right like he's like 27 by mormon years in the nfl so like i'm not going to criticize hill too much for that <laughs> and like the whole point is when you're when you're a power runner like you're you have only so many carries in you before your body breaks down so like hill is probably younger than he seems 
from like an, an age and wear standpoint. So I think that's good. That, that's good too. He's not going to make my list here, but it, that's good. <laughs> All right. My third pick in our dynasty quarterback draft. And I, I agree with you that the two, three, and four, I think are interchangeable in a lot of ways, but I went with Kyler Murray. I'll start with what I'm worried about. Here are his carries per game with three different splits. Weeks one to nine last year, 9.5 carries per game. Weeks 10 to 17 last year, 7.1. Remember, he had actually suffered some, some ankle and stuff mm -hmm. injuries. It, it dipped. Weeks one to eight this year before he, he missed three games, 6.1 carries per game. Now, he came back and carried the ball 10 or 11 times last week. I thought looked really healthy. So, like, that was a good sign. The other good sign to me, he's actually leading the league with 30% passing DVOA. So like the arm stuff is working really well too. But I would say, how long are we going to get Kyler Murray as the unbelievable dual threat guy that he is right now? I'm not sure we're going to be getting that just going forward. And that's why I'm a little bit more pessimistic for Murray and only have him, what, third among your dynasty quarterbacks. What do you think, Derek? I mean, I think I mostly agree because like to me, the thing with Murray as a runner is a lot of what he was doing. I mean, they do do some design stuff, but a lot of what they were, a lot of Murray's rushing success early on was just scrambles. Like he, he wasn't fully comfortable in what he was doing in the offense yet. Um, I don't think the offense fully knew what it wanted to do. Like particularly last year is what I mean. Um, and so he was just yeah. kind of like, you know, Kyler go make a play. Um, and he was doing that a lot with his legs. And I think the more he gets comfortable in the league, in this offense, he's become more comfortable as a passer. And to your point, he's still going to have these games where he does rip off 10 carries, you know, like last week or whatever. But I think the more he settles into being a passer, the better he's gotten at it. And the more he's not needed to really just break the pocket and use his legs. Um, I think this year, especially that has been true when Rodney Hudson was healthy and, and they, mm -hmm. they really had a good protection scheme and stuff. So um I do kind of worry a little bit about like how much he's ever going to get back to that rushing production. Um, but like, I think he's going to continue to be a really good passer, especially if they keep, you know, uh, the skill talent around him that they've, they've done yeah. this year. Like, I think he's just phenomenal. Like the explosive plays are crazy. He's really good on the move. He's gotten a lot better at like, you know, quick game. You're, you're just standard, like, you know, passing stuff. So, I mean, he, he he's as good as anyone in, in a real life sense. Um, and so I think he's, he's going to continue to be a pretty good scorer too. Great. All right. You're up with the fourth dynasty pick quarterbacks, 26 under 26 years old. I, I think this one, you know, this one's easy. It's gotta be Lamar Jackson. Um, he's just the rushing, why he's different runner than Murray. is like, you don't really design the Murray offense to be run centric with Lamar. He's so good at it. And so special at it that you do make the offense to, to be run centric and you, you really get him involved. So I think he's going to continue to get a ton of carries both in the red zone between the twenties. Um, as a runner, I think even at least for the next three years, like, you know, there has to be a point eventually where that's going to slow down. But I think for the next, you know, three, four years or whatever, he's still very much going to be able to do that. And then as a passer, like, I don't think he's quite what Murray or Herbert or, or some of these other guys are yet. But like, I think he's at least like what Allen is. And I think the problem, you know, the difference just between Allen and Jackson right now, the Baltimore offense is just one of the worst designed, I think, in the league. Like they just don't give him very many easy throws, whether that's, you know, um screens or just even in their design dropback stuff. They don't have a lot of available checkdowns for him. Um, some of their protection stuff is just like abysmal. Um and, and honestly I just don't really love their pass catchers right now. Like those dudes just drop a lot of passes um sure. outside of Bateman, who for whatever reason they just aren't playing as much as they should. So I, I don't know. Drive. 
like I know that they scored a yeah. touchdown to end the game last week before the the two point failure, but he wasn't even playing. Duvernay was. It just doesn't make sense to me. And like Duvernay is like an okay player at certain things, but like he's not better than Bateman is. So I my question with Lamar would just be like how are they going to fix this offense? And like, are, are they going to fire Roman? Are they going to be able to fix the offensive line um, in a hurry? That sort of thing. Like I, I trust Lamar, the player. I don't know how much I trust this offensive structure right now. I mean, they have so many important players on injured reserve. A lot of them yeah. from the offensive line. Like to me, I'm, I'm kind of giving everything a pass right now. Mm-hmm. And that's why I had, I had Lamar fourth too. And I'm worried that I'm a prisoner of the moment to have him that low. Cause I'm wondering what this is going to look like with better personnel around them. But the thing that I'm worried about as of, of late is that teams are blitzing Jackson a lot more than they had been previously. So last year, 22.2% blitz rate. That's low. You expect it to be low because Lamar is an unbelievable runner. You expect to get burned when you bring extra pressure. But this year, as of a couple of weeks ago, I don't have this updated, but 31.3% blitz rate was the fourth highest among quarterbacks. When blitzed, he's bottom five in EPA per play. And when he's not blitzed, he's tied for first with Aaron Rodgers. Like, if you don't blitz them, you're facing Aaron Rodgers. If you do blitz them, you're facing Mike White. I mean, it's like it's it's like a crazy split. And I know that Jackson pretty much every year has like answered whatever the latest concern about his long-term viability is. This year he's completing a lot more passes outside the numbers and deep. So great. Like he's developed as a passer. But like, what do you make of the blitzing success here? Cause to me, it's it's so weird that it's an effective way to play him. I think to me, it's just their offensive line is so bad that like they mm-hmm. are never getting these things blocked up. Whereas like in yeah. previous years, if you blitzed um, Lamar and, you know, you brought six or whatever, like they would get enough of it blocked up that maybe you only had one free guy and like Lamar could, could find something. Um, he, he'd be able to escape the pocket. Like now when you bring six, three guys are getting loose constantly and there's nowhere for Lamar to go. So I think to me, that's the biggest issue is like, they just can't block it up at all. I think they they probably have like a bottom three offensive line in the league. I mean, maybe bottom four of them, Miami, Carolina, and Houston are probably like that's right. if you don't the Mount Panthers right now. Yeah, that's like over. the Mount Rushmore of horrible offensive lines <laughs> <laughs> right now. Um, What's the opposite so, of a Mount Rushmore? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, maybe we can coin a term. Um, but yeah, so I think he's just battling that right now. And again, like it's just a matter of how much they can turn that around in one offseason. Some of it's going to be. Hmm just getting guys healthy like Ronnie Stanley and stuff. Um, But some of it also is like, they just need better players like straight up. Yeah. I I was asking Mike Tanier about this too. And like his read of it was a lot of the the blitzing success is happening up the middle. And it's like, Mm -hmm. again, we're we're injured all over the line, but if you're bringing edge pressure, that's a lot easier for Lamar to step up through and escape and then get into the open field. But when you're just crushing guards and centers and like fighting through the pocket straight on, it's tough for Lamar to get out of there. And so like, that's, that's to me where I'm like, let's see this with a, a better supporting cast. And I think Lamar could continue to have a ton of fantasy success. Mm-hmm. All right, let's keep going. We're going to spend all day doing this. My fifth pick in the dynasty quarterback draft is Joe Burrow. And the, the it was the big debate. I would say going into last week, whether you would want Burrow or Herbert for your team because they were playing each other. And, you know, I saw you on Twitter. I was agreeing with what you were saying a lot of it, which is that like Burrow was actually making a lot of great plays and getting absolutely sabotaged by like Jamar (laughs) Chase bouncing his should have been 70 yard touchdown pass off his chest and becoming an interception that kind of summarized a lot of the day. And frankly, I might prefer to have Burrow too. Like, I think it's, it's a real debate, but in my mind, from a fantasy perspective, it's, it's not a debate at all. 
as I mentioned, Herbert brings a lot of value with his legs, especially with those close in touchdown looks where it's like, he's going to run for probably five or six rushing touchdowns per season, especially after what Burrow went through with his knee last year. I just don't think it's going to happen anymore. And his, his like rushing his carry percentage is down markedly from last year. So like you, you kind of need Burrow to become Peyton Manning to have that kind of elite fantasy potential. And you know what? I don't think it's impossible, but to me, that's, that's what really separates him from the top four of the list. Something else that I'll mention with Burrow that's interesting, 23 passing touchdowns this season, but 16.1 expecting passage touchdowns. That 6.9 touchdown surplus is the first among quarterbacks. I bring up expected touchdowns a lot, more with skill players. With skill players, it's it's really obvious that that stuff tends to regress over time. With quarterbacks, it doesn't. Like The best quarterbacks are going to overachieve on that every year, and you can see it this year. So like Winston is second with 5.4. Then Herbert 4-9, Cousins 4-9, Brady 4-1, Murray 3-8, Mahomes 2-7. Like the best quarterbacks score more than you would expect based on where they're throwing the ball. I think that makes some sense. But it does seem to me like Burroughs had a lot of scores that are like, here's a little 50-yard Jamar Chase touchdown, right? And like, while I think their offense is really good, and a lot of those, those drives would have ended up being Burrow touchdowns eventually anyway, some of them might have ended up being Joe Mixon ones, you know, like, to me, it's he's gotten lucky with the distribution of touchdowns falling more on him than his teammates this season. And so I'm wondering if Burrow might end up being more of a back-end quarterback one long-term than a top-end. But curious to hear your thoughts on what you think of the young player. I'll kind of talk out of both sides of my mouth here. Um, I, I do think like the surplus thing is in part because he's gotten unbelievably lucky on some of these explosive plays. He has done a lot better throwing deep this year than he did as a rookie, but like there was the one against like the Packers where like uh, Darnell Savage would have like completely spiked the ball. But as he like reached out for it, the ball literally went like under his armpit. And like, <laughs> think, I think Chase caught it and ran it for a touchdown, which like you can't bank on that <laughs> happening all the time. And like, I feel like they've had like five of those type of plays this year. So I think to your point, that's he's kind of gotten a little lucky. Um, what I would say about the Bengals is that, I think they're going to always have to be a pass-heavy offense because of the mm -hmm. way that Burrow operates. He's not the strongest arm guy, and he's not a guy who wants to be like this heavy get-under-center, play-action, throw over the middle of the field through tight windows. Like That's just not what he is. He wants to be like an NFL version of the air raid type of passer where he's in gun a lot, he's in empty, he can see all these things. And I think that necessitates a heavy passing offense. So I think from that angle you know you're going to get a lot of value out of joe burrow and you just have to hope that they can kind of like lamar jackson fix the offensive line enough that they can do that better between the 20s than i think they have for most of this year yeah was that is that who you would have picked now i mean you can tell me now that you're up for the yeah sixth pick. that it mine would have been burrow because i think burrow is clearly a tier below the other four guys but he's also i think a lot safer than a lot of the other guys that are going to go after him um, it's about to point, get, I'm not going to say rough, but like, it's about to be like, wow, we're kind of into the question mark territory. It's already real here. coin flippy at this yeah. point. <laughs> um, th this is where it gets really tricky because it's kind of a matter of like, do you want the safest guy or do you want the guy who I think could have the highest ceiling? So I think to me, I actually want to take Justin Fields, okay. um, which is probably a little extreme. Um, I'm banking on the, the Bears firing their coaches and hiring a good offensive coach. I'm banking on them um, fixing their their wide receivers, you know, a, a little bit. And I'm also banking on Justin Fields to have um, some continued development. But I don't know. I, I really loved him as a college prospect coming out of Ohio State. 
I think he's looked a lot better than his numbers indicate um, as a player this year. Um, so, I, and he's obviously going to have a lot of the rushing value. Like he, he's, that's kind of been what he's been really good at this year, um, mm-hmm. both as a designed guy and as like a scrambler. I think he's just a ridiculous athlete for his size. So I don't know. I, I think the rushing kind of gives him a high floor. And if we can hope to God that they, they hire some, <laughs> some decent coaching and get another receiver in there that this could be pretty, pretty decent. All right, let me let me throw you out the, the cautionary issues here, right? <laughs> negative 30.8, negative 38.4% passing DVOA. Not the worst. Zach Wilson, negative 38.9%. Percentage points better than Zach Wilson, but second worst. And like, let's look at the recent quarterbacks based on the rookie season passing DVOA numbers. It's a it's not a good company to be in, I would say. I'm gonna go from the top, notable guys from the last five or so years. Prescott 31.6, Deshaun Watson 23.1. Herbert 10.2, Baker 8.1, Kyler Murray negative 3.1, Joe Burrow negative 7.3. All pretty good, right? They're they're at least 10% worse or better than an average NFL quarterback as a rookie. So like that's a good sign. It's getting a little dicier now. Two was next, negative 8.5%. Three weeks ago, they were ready to run him out of town. You may still be ready to run him out of town. Carson yep. Wentz, <laughs> negative 12%. He did get run out of town. Sam Darnold, negative 15.2%, going to get run out of multiple towns. Mitchell Trubisky, negative 16.8%. Daniel Jones, negative 19.2%. Josh Allen, that's the feather in the cap guy, negative 35.9%. That's what you're hoping for. Dwayne Haskins, negative 42%. Then it gets like really bad. Josh Rosen, negative 53.7%. Jared Goff, negative 74.8%. So like, whatever, I don't think we need to worry about those last couple of guys. But the point being that like, it's really weird for a guy to have as bad of a statistical season as Fields has had so far to then go on to be a productive quarterback fantasy or otherwise. To me, that's the concern. Also a concern that 13.5% sack rate. That's, that's by far the worst. Wilson is second at 9.3% based on pro football reference. That's the, the offensive pressure rate is 14th best. Like it's, it's not like, the, the offensive line, it's catastrophically bad, at least based on that metric. So, like, you're worried that maybe he's holding on to the ball too long. He does have the highest average depth of target in the league, 10.1 yards. What say you about all of that weirdness? So, specifically for the, the, the pressure rate, I think that is extremely a product of what the offense is with Andy Dalton. Like, they just okay. don't hold the ball long enough for them to get <laughs> pressured. Um, and so, when you... It's not only that, like, the way that Andy Dalton makes it such that you're not going to get these high pressure rates. Yeah. It's that when you have to switch gears from being that offense to being a completely different Justin Fields offense, when offensive line is so much about, like, gelling and getting reps, like, it's kind of hard to switch that gear, um, which to me is really more like a, um, a hit on, like, the coaching staff for just not having Justin Fields be the offense from week one. Like, he should, you drafted him in the first round. Just make him the guy. Um, so I don't know, to me, that's kind of the biggest issue. Um, I would also say with him, like being as bad as he was in terms of DVOA, I think some of it is like how bad the coaching, uh, staff was for particularly his first couple of weeks, um, on the job, like the Browns game is like, yeah, that's gotta be one of the worst DVOA games probably ever, um, rookie or otherwise. And that was almost entirely like how bad the game plan was and how bad they were blocking for him. Um, so I think that's, probably a bigger issue for him but also like with a lot of the other guys that were in his territory like 
you know, this is obviously obviously a subjective thing, but like I thought Fields was just a significantly better prospect than all of those guys mm-hmm. coming out. Even some of the the other first rounders, like you know Rosen or Darnold or um, Takavalo or whatever. Like Fields to me was just a considerably better prospect, considerably more talented. So I still have faith that that's going to um, to turn out. I think he's still going to be good. Again, just so long as they don't have Matt Nagy as the coach and they can maybe get another pass catcher. <laughs> so I went I went kind of a similar train of thinking here with this is the seventh pick now, but this would have been my sixth pick is Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And at least from a passing DVOA perspective, it hasn't been quite as catastrophic, but negative 19.3% passing DVOA. That's in kind of the Daniel Jones zone, which is probably not where you're looking to be with your, your franchise quarterback. But to me, it's it's it's. I know that Matt Nagy is the one that we're screaming to be fired. Um, I guess we kind of got over that with Urban Meyer. But to me, Jacksonville's <laughs> been the bigger train wreck. And like like Fields, you can still see the really good plays with Lawrence. I feel like right, like the flashes yeah. of brilliance are there. And it seems to me like Lawrence is doing a lot of the the smart quarterback things, like adjusting for pressure at the line, handling protections, and that type of stuff. It's not turning into production or fantasy production right now. But I'm weirdly confident that Lawrence is going to be really good for a quarterback whose offense has been really bad this season. Do you feel the same way? A hundred percent. I mean, he's still the prince that was promised to me. Like, I mean, to your point, like with the pocket stuff, it's not just that he also does like a good job with like managing um, protections and stuff up front. It's that like his the way he feels pressure coming at him and he like knows where defenders are supposed to be. It is already like top five yeah. in the league. Like I genuinely believe that. Like he, his feel for the pocket is just absolutely insane. He does such a good job of keeping himself clean. The Jaguars offensive line is like truthfully not horrible, but he makes it better than it is for sure. Um, they just, yeah. Like I honestly think the structure of their offense is not the worst. Like it, they, they run a lot of like regular NFL concepts, you know, sound stuff. It's just that the players are terrible. Yeah. And I think like the, minutia of the coaching is bad like players are short on their routes all the time they're not getting out of breaks cleanly or when they should they're not getting off the ball so like to me it's not like a concepts and structure thing it's like the position coaches maybe just aren't doing a very good job or something you know the detail just isn't there and then yeah like they just don't have talent they have maybe Mm -hmm. like one nfl skill player (laughs) and they don't play him in james robinson like they just don't put him on the field anymore (laughs) Yeah, he, he got benched, according to him, last week. And yeah, Urban, like... Urban was like, huh, that's weird. I, I guess you're right that he didn't play. <laughs> I don't he had no, that. I, no well, idea why do? that happened. That's probably not a good sign for your head coach. Um, yeah. But I, I'm a little surprised that you had Fields ahead of Lawrence because I know that you have – I think I've heard you say multiple times that Fields is like a generational prospect, but you thought that Lawrence was too, and mm-hmm. I think had him ahead in the preseason. Obviously, it hasn't gone well for Fields either. So, like, have, have they flipped in your mind, or is this more just a – the fantasy value could follow fields as the heavier runner. That's all it is. Like, I think I still think Lawrence is the better player. He's who you want as your franchise guy. I just think it's one, the, the fields rushing value um, potential. And then also like, this is maybe like not the dynasty way to think about it, but like, we know for a fact, the bears are going to get a changing of the guard with their coaching staff. And there's hope in that sense with Lawrence. Like we're probably getting another year of this like unfortunately like this is probably just the way it's going to be um and i also think like the the receiving core has longer to go than the bears mm-hmm. does i still have questions about what the bears receiving core is but like you know i think Komet is a really good tight end darnell mooney is a, a, at the very least a really good role player whereas like with the, the jaguars it's like 
who do you even really want to retain? Yeah. Like, like these guys just aren't very good. So um, to me, I think it's just there's potentially a longer road to mm. getting production out of Lawrence, even if he's that, the better player. Fair. All right. I think that wipes out seven guys. We're getting the 10. So you're up with number eight. Um, This one, again, is kind of like a, you know, this is where I was with Burrow. It's like, do I want the the safer guy or do I want a guy who's going to, who I'm going to flip the coin on? I'm going to flip the coin and take Trey Lance, honestly. Okay. Um, I, I really just, I, again, I liked him as a prospect a lot. Um, You know, his work this year, I don't think, I don't think his games uh, this year were as bad as, um, you know, some, some people are painting it out to be, I saw some people painting it out to be like, he's already a bust and like one of the worst oh, quarterbacks no, we've on. seen in recent years. I'm like, dude, he played six quarters of football. He wasn't supposed to play. <laughs> like we knew this was going to be a project. So I still have faith in the project um, working out for next year. Um, I think the way, you know, I, I just think Shanahan is the smartest offensive mind in football, the way he can constantly um, just make the roster work. It is incredible. He needs to do a better job at just having a better roster, but I mean, maybe that can get figured out next year. So I don't know. I just have a lot of faith in Shanahan. Um, and I think he actually did want to bring this along slowly and just his hand kind of got forced with the Jimmy Garoppolo injury a little bit. So I still have a lot of faith in Lance. Um, big explosive play guy. I trust Shanahan. And I think Lance is obviously going to bring a lot of value as a runner. Mm -hmm. Like to me, I sort of mentally handle this the way that I thought about the Chiefs with Alex Smith playing in front of Patrick Mahomes for so long. Yeah. Like it's obvious that Lance is going to be the better player in the long term. He has, in addition to being a great runner, he has ridiculous arm talent. So like, yeah. I'm super optimistic. I had him actually ahead of Justin Fields. And I wonder mm -hmm. if like, I, I feel like the fantasy equation of this may end up being better, even if he's not the better real world player. So he had a 40.4% carry percentage in those two games that he played. It was really more like a game and a half, honestly, but that would make him first among starters this year. Lamar's at 37.6, Hertz 33.1, and then you have to go down to Allen at 24.4. I don't necessarily think that's what Lance is going to be once he's like more capable as a passer, but that to me is like in there in a way that I wasn't really sure heading into the year. And so I think that like the fantasy potential is enormous. Like he could be the number one fantasy quarterback at some point. So I'm still very high. The, the name that I think is probably going to surprise people at this point is that now that I'm picking him ninth is Jalen Hurts, who's been like a top five fantasy quarterback so far this season, uh, has been really good as a runner. I think that's Boyd his value. The question is really like, do you think he's going to stick as a starting NFL quarterback in the long term? I'm not really talking about Minshew mania uh, per se, <laughs> but to me, it's like the, the rap on Hurts was that like he wasn't a good decision maker and just wasn't accurate in the short and intermediate areas. Last season, 53.1% completion percentage on short throws, one to 10 yards of in the air. That was the worst among regular starters. 65.2% this year is much better, but it's still the fourth worst. Similar kind of patterns with the, sec the success percentage too. So like my question is, do you feel differently about Hertz with his development? Like, is he good enough on the short and intermediate areas that like it's okay? And then he does a lot of other good things. Like obviously the running value is huge. Clearly a great locker room guy. People love to follow him. He can get the ball down the field. And so there's explosiveness too. So like, is the basic stuff that you're looking for from an NFL quarterback, is it there enough that he could be a long-term starter? Right now, I, well, I think he is a top 32 quarterback in the NFL in, in, in the sense that like, I think he is always going to be good enough to have a starting job mm -hmm. um, in, you know, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick has always been that kind of good. You know what I mean? Like, I think he is at the very least that 
Um, I think right now I still have a lot of questions about what he is, um, particularly as an intermediate passer. I think he's late on a lot of stuff. Um, I think he's accurate enough to kind of make it work sometimes. And I think um, especially the emergence of some of their skill players like Dallas Goddard being even better. Devonta Smith is obviously incredible. has really helped him out a lot. Obviously, they also have like the best pass protecting offensive line in football, which is probably not going to hold over the years, even if they continue to be pretty good. So um, I think some things are really going in his favor right now. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I kind of have questions about whether the Eagles are going to commit to him. I think he's been good enough that they actually should give him another year. Um, and I would say that like Hertz has consistently gotten better at something every year going back to, you know, even his days at like his freshman year, Alabama, he's consistently yeah. gotten like a little bit better. So you hope he can do that again. And then also like, I think he's just better than any of the draftable quarterbacks right now. So like, might as well give him the keys again. And to your point, like he's a great locker room guy. Everybody seems to love him. So um, he was one of the two guys I was between at this spot. And so I actually don't, I, I think it's like a perfectly fine pick. Um, I even mean, if, on, I'm if not you're telling sure me that he's going to, he's a top 32 guy and is always going to have a starting job somewhere. I think we're too low on him. Cause like he's an outrageously good fantasy producer when he plays and like, is Lawrence going to be that? You're hoping, but you don't know. So like, I feel like we actually may be too low on him if you think he's going to keep starting somewhere going forward. To, to me, he feels a lot like what Tyrod Taylor was um, with the Bills. I don't think he's quite as good of a passer as Taylor was. Um, but to me, that's kind of the situation that I think he's falling in where he's going to constantly be a guy who is getting jobs. I am not sure he's ever going to be committed to long term. The difference being that like he has just been so much better from a fantasy perspective than Taylor ever yeah. was. And like to me, that yeah. that's the big difference. All right. We got one more guy here. And this is where, honestly, I think it gets really interesting. I feel like there are a couple guys you could go with here. Curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I'm going with Mac Jones. Um, okay. Even if I still have questions about what he can be in terms of generating explosive plays, um, in terms of, you know, how much do you ever want to give him passing volume just with the way that the offense is going to have to function with him, like yada, yada, yada. Like, I still think he's going to bring such a high floor and I have so much faith in Belichick and McDaniels that they're going to constantly give you something and you just have to bank on, you know, them getting a little bit better at the wide receiver room. Um, next year for them to be able to just manufacture some explosives. So I think the floor on Mac Jones is just so high that like, even if a couple of these other options might have higher ceilings, theoretically, like a one, I don't trust that many of them are, are going to get there <laughs> um, to begin yeah. with. But like Jones's floor to me is just so much higher, both now and in the long term, I think. So I was debating between Jones and one other player. I'll mention again, Patrick Mahomes is ineligible because he's 26. Mm -hmm. I think Joey sucks in the chat said it's about time for, for the useful Baker uh, Baker's actually 26 as well. So he's ineligible. I don't think I would have considered him anyway, to tell you the truth. Um, Zach Wilson, are we out on him? I feel like we are right. I know that's sad, but I think we're already out. I, yeah, I'm like, he's still going to get like another chance, whatever. But like, I already didn't love Wilson as a prospect, like relative to where he went. Um Yeah. I still thought he was like a fine first round gamble and I still liked him more than Jones, but like the deal with Jones was like, we know what he's going to be. He can be mm -hmm. a B level starter, blah, blah, blah. Wilson was obviously more of a coin flip, but I think with how bad he has looked um, both on film and in the numbers. And then just with like how much I really don't trust what they have in the coaching staff and front office, like it's going to take a lot for this thing to work for Wilson and the Jets, I think. Yeah. 
So Daniel Jones is also an option. I ruled him out. Like, I think mm -hmm. now that the Giants are going to fire everybody, it seems like I just, I can't imagine the new regime not bringing in a new quarterback year one or two. So I just don't think Jones has long to be a starter in the NFL. Jordan Love, I don't know what to think. It obviously went really badly in his substitute game this season. So I'm not exactly, you know, super excited about the situation. So to me, for the 10th spot, I was debating between Mac Jones and the player I went with, who you're not going to like at all, is Tua Tonga-Vailoa. So, like, obviously the, the offense is weird, right? It's RPO heavy. You would say it's not an NFL offense. But I'll say that the Tua has a 3.2% completion percentage over expectation per next-gen stats. That's top six in the NFL. That is a, a depth-adjusted stat that says that, like, yeah, Tua's taking relatively easy throws, but, like, he's incredibly accurate at making those throws, right? It's like, if you look at the RP, uh, RPO numbers and everything else, like, Granted, they shouldn't be doing it every play necessarily, but when he does it, he's really, really good at it. So the question is, like, is he going to stick? But the other thing from a fantasy perspective, and I, I think I brought this up with the uh, the Josh Allen piece, is that Tonga Vailoa has nine carries within five yards of the end zone the last two seasons as effectively a part-time starter. So he's not a runner in the same way that guys like Lamar are, but like he is involved near the goal line in a Justin Herbert type of way. And so I feel like there are pieces to the equation here where he could be an effective fantasy player, maybe a like borderline QB one, two, if he's stuck as an NFL starter. But I sense that you don't think he's going to be an NFL starter in the long term, do you? I he could maybe like start, but I think the structure of what the Miami offense is, is just not sustainable. Like you cannot be this RPO um, offense that throws out of their RPO stuff as much as they do. Like I think defenses are going to start um capping that stuff stuff a lot better i think they're gonna you know play a lot more of this like nine man fit in the box where they are just like hammering down on a lot of the slant glance routes that like they like to throw off of rpos um whereas teams just aren't mm. haven't really been doing that to them yet they're kind of like giving them this stuff so i think as soon as that starts to get taken away like i'm gonna have questions because i think when you watch two on like his legitimate dropback stuff um, whether that's when they do it at a rare time on first and second down or when they have to on third down where RPO yeah. is really not in the equation, he just doesn't look like he can cut it. Like, I just, I have questions about like his, his feet get really jittery. Um, his accuracy to me is good when like, to me, the, the difference with, with Tua's accuracy, when he just goes like, you know, off the RPO pull and throws it, or he goes like one, two, three, and the ball's out immediately, he looks unbelievable. The accuracy is crazy. When he has to reset his feet at all, he just doesn't cut it to me. Like he, he just misses too many throws. So I have a lot of questions about what he's has, what he is as a drop back passer. And I think when teams are going to force Miami to be that more often, he's kind of not in a good spot. Yeah. When you, when you said that, I just had visions of Jared Goff in my head and I didn't like, <laughs> I, mean, I did not like that. It's um, kind of what it is. <laughs> let, well, let me, let me give you this last metric here, Derek, uh, to a 55.6% completion percentage on deep passes than 20 or more air yards first among quarterbacks this season. What are your thoughts on that? That sounds like Devontae Parker doing a <laughs> hell of a lot, <laughs> even though he hasn't played that much. Like that feels like some contested catch type of was stuff. It, what that really probably says is that Tua has 18 deep attempts, which is how yeah, many Yeah, that too. Like they just don't do it. So um, you just get a couple lucky ones. And, <laughs> and not just lucky. It's like teams aren't really defending him in that way, yeah. which actually makes him easier to complete. But like, I still have hopes that Tua could do more than he's being asked to do right now. I would love to see him with a better offensive line, with better skill talent. I think that's going to happen before he – he like loses his chances to start. So like, I, I still have him in the mix in that respect. Okay. 
I think that wraps up our, our dynasty draft. It seemed like people in the YouTube chat were enjoying it. So I think let's keep doing this for the next few weeks when we're going to run out of waiver wires to talk about. We'll hit running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends in some order over the next few weeks. I think we did have one question in the YouTube chat as well, uh, like a fantasy-specific question. Let me scroll down and see if I can find it. All right, yeah, Parker Shorey. He says, for the rest of the season, do you like Ramondre Stevenson, Damian Harris, or maybe even both in half-point PPR leagues? So I'll say I think injuries are going to have a lot to do with this. I think if both are playing, Harris is probably going to out-touch Ramondre about 60-40, maybe even 2-1. to one. And so Harris would be the one that I prefer. He would probably be a back-end RB2 when both are healthy. But Harris also seemed to suffer a hamstring injury on Monday night. If I had to guess, he's going to miss at least a game, possibly more. And I bet Stevenson's going to be like a fairly solid RB2 while he's out. Like, I know he's not getting a lot of work as a receiver, but to me, you're going to, if you're getting 20 to 25 touches, which I think he would get without Harris, that's enough of a volume that even if it's not as PPR friendly, it's still going to really work. Do you sort of see things the same way, Derek? Yeah, I mean, I don't even have anything to add. I think that's 100% spot on. It's really just like what, how healthy you think Harris is going to be. If he's not playing, Stevenson's yeah. great. If he's playing, Harris is probably better, but neither. They're probably going to eat at each other's volume a little bit. Yeah. All right, perfect. Before we get out of here, I'm going to say one more time that FO Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. So get to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe to check out our fantasy stuff, our betting info, stats, et cetera. I think it's really worth your time. And again, we're Monday through Friday live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. So that's Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. Tomorrow, Aaron, Mike Tanier, and I think a guest are going to do an Ask Me Anything. So send them their questions and check that out. Circle back here on Friday as well. I'll do a fantasy preview for week 14. Uh, Derek, you got anything else interesting coming up before we wrap up? It seems like the time that you're starting to look at your prospect stuff for, for the 2022 draft, right? Yeah, we uh, so for Bleacher Report, we had our big board, I think, last week or maybe two weeks ago. Um, our most recent one, we bumped it to like 150 players. I think in about a month or so, we're going to start like putting actual full reports out. So that's mm -hmm. something to look for. We're trying to knock those out. So um, I don't know how much you know content we're doing between then, but that's something to look for at least. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much all else I've got going on. That works. And everybody check out Derek's film room series on football outsiders. I'd say his, his 49ers one about Debo Samuel as a runner, probably my favorite one of the year. I'm hoping Derek does 49ers ones every week going forward because that team is so stinking fun to watch. Uh, but, but great stuff from you, Derek. All right. Thanks for everybody that's stuck it out again. Watch the ask me anything tomorrow and everything else going on here at football outsiders. Thanks so much and talk to you soon.